You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. So from verse 46. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, because he has looked with favour on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is the word of the, God, of, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are so excited to be here. We, we, it's just lovely to be amongst you. And we're so sorry we haven't been able to be here earlier than this. But... Um, uh, John, as he as as he said uh, a minute ago, said that he'd uh, asked me to preach, which means it's going to be a shorter sermon. He made sure of that by only giving me two verses to preach on. <laughs> two verses. I'll see how long I can stretch it out. Um, you're doing uh, a series, an Advent series, on um, the passage that we just heard about, and a bit bit more than that, uh, and in particular, the song of Mary, the Magnificat. And I've uh, been given the privilege of finishing that, that uh, Magnificat off today, the last in the series before Christmas. It's incredible, isn't it? The thing of the Christmas is next week, one week away. Wow, things have been going quickly. But um, hopefully, um, I've, I've read through the previous sermons that, that uh, you've, you've had on, on this series, on the Magnificat, and it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's just absolutely fascinating to see the incredible story of Mary Uh, being told that she would bear the Son of God. Bear the Son of God. She's a young, poor girl, really, probably about 14 years of age, hardly a woman. And yet we get this incredibly spiritual response of acceptance and humility from her. It's just a beautiful passage. Uh, last week, you would have heard uh, Jonas speak about God using the weak and the lowly rather than the rich and the powerful. Do you remember that? Sometimes, he said, sometimes we aspire to see the great people in the world become Christians. Sometimes we want that and think that that would be significant. But what did he say? John said, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's dead right. It's so true, isn't it? God uses the ordinary, the weak, the broken, to see his amazing promises, amazing plan accomplished. That's one of the great things about this whole part of Luke's gospel that uh, you've been looking at over the last few weeks. This humble woman... She doesn't think more highly of herself. Rather, she sees all of this that's going on around her and to her 
as nothing more than a reflection of the character and the nature of God himself. You see, what she does in singing this song and her whole attitude is that she makes God the hero of the story. It's not about Mary. And she makes that so clear in this wonderful song. Uh, Not only that, but Mary sees the way God has acted for her as being part and parcel of the normal way that God acts in the world, throughout the world. And that's why, in in these words, Mary speaks in the past tense, as if it has all already happened. Well, it's because she knows that the things that what God has done in the past is really an expression of his character, of what he's like. And so she can be confident, therefore, that it's going to happen into the future also. So as certain as Mary was that she was pregnant, as certain of that as she was, so she is also certain that a Messiah is coming and salvation was going to be achieved through that Messiah by using the weak and the humble. It's a done deal as far as she's concerned. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. It's quite amazing. Uh, It's an incredibly humble response from Mary. You realise, don't you, she's just had her whole life ruined socially. Totally ruined. She is pregnant before marriage. You know what that meant in those days? She would have been accused of being a loose woman. Her, her husband, future husband, Joseph, thought about separating from her. She would have been considered a slut. She was an unsavory type of person. She would have been frowned upon. She would have been excluded, pushed aside, spoken about be, behind her back. She would have been outcast. But she was willing to accept all of that, to pull all of that aside, to ignore it, to take no notice of it, if it means that God would bring salvation, not just to her, but to the whole world. What an example for us. We might not be getting pregnant. (laughs) But her attitude, the way she's thinking, can be the way we think also. Are we able to put aside all the stuff that happens in our lives? All the criticisms, all the hurt, maybe even the physical pain, the heartbreaks, the anger. Can we put all that aside? And would we put all that aside if it meant that Christ would be seen for who he truly is, the saviour of the world? 
That is what the Christmas message is all about, isn't it? Showing how this baby is actually going to become the saviour of the world. And Mary did that, didn't she, in this song, in no uncertain terms. Man, what a woman. Incredible. And so can we be the same. In, uh, in Dubai, we do actually celebrate Christmas. Bit surprising. Christmas decorations everywhere. Uh, Christmas trees. Carols in the malls, the largest malls in the world. Christmas carols all the way through them. Uh, and in the shops. There are gingerbread houses everywhere. How did gingerbread get into, into Christmas? I don't know. But gingerbread houses are everywhere. So big that you can actually walk in. We've, we've walked into a gingerbread house. It had two rooms in it. It was all made of gingerbread. Just crazy. There it is. Isn't that crazy? And yet, so, so you've got all this commercial stuff going on, and yet... It is not a public holiday. There's no Boxing Day. Boxing Day doesn't exist. And needless to say, there's no nativity scenes. There's no baby Jesus. There's just trees and decorations, words about joy, peace and happiness. Nothing to do with the Bible, though. nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Jesus. It's a real commercial bling. Uh, and that's, that's how it is. It's a very, um, what is it, commercial bling sort of overlay over Christmas. But that does, however, show that where we are in Dubai, religion is important. Uh, and they encourage discussion about religion. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that happening in Australia? <laughs> no. You know when you meet someone for the first time? Hi, my name's John. Pleased to meet you. What's the next thing you say? Well, if you're a bloke, you say, what do you do for a crust? Or what do you do for a living? What's your job? Well, in that part of the world, the next question you ask after you introduce is usually, what religion are you? Religion is a talked about thing. It's not frowned upon, it's expected. And that makes it quite easy if you're on the ball, if you're thinking straight, to launch into a discussion about what Christianity is and who Jesus is and what the Bible says about Jesus. I actually think for you guys back here in Melbourne, I think you've got it really hard, really, really hard. I think it's much easier for us uh, over in Dubai. Uh, a few years ago, you had a Royal Commission into child sexual abuse in, in uh, institutions and the church did not look good. There's a whole lot of issues about abortion and LGBTQIA and gender issues where what the Bible says uh, might not be accepted very easily at all. I actually think you have a much harder life back here in Australia as Christians. Uh, it's, Christianity is a, a persecuted view now. And in many ways, I think we have it much easier in Dubai. 
Irony, isn't it, in a Muslim country? But nonetheless, Jesus calls us to honour him in all situations. Now, how you do that here in Caroline Springs is, I can't tell you how to do that. That's up to you to work out. But that is what is expected. Jesus calls us to honour him in all situations. And that's the example of Mary in our passage. A desire to see God magnified. God given the glory that he deserves. Despite the hardship that it caused her and the hardship that it causes us. And as your partners in Dubai, we're actually praying for you. We're praying that you will be fruitful witnesses to this incredible God. Just as Mary was willing to accept all the difficulties that she was about to go through, she was, just as she was able to put that aside, if it means that God would bring salvation, not just to her but to the whole world, so too Deb and I are praying that you will persevere also in making him known. That you will magnify God. That you will give glory and honour to him. Here, where you live, in your workplace, down the street, amongst your friends, with your family. Just as we've found in Dubai that people are very open and that's the case we found in Dubai, that people are very open because they're, they're away from their normal contexts. They've left their family and friends in another country. And they're confronted by many, many different cultures as you come together in Dubai. Maybe what might work for you here in Caroline Springs is to especially seek out people in that sort of a scenario. Seek out the newcomers to Australia. It might be a shop assistant, it might be a neighbour, it might be a friend of a friend, it might be someone you meet randomly. And by showing an interest in the newcomer as they're adjusting and feeling uncomfortable with being in this new, in this new country, you may have an opportunity to, well, try asking them about their faith. Chances are they'd be happy to talk to you about that. And that might just give you an opportunity to share your faith with them. Or better still, invite them along to church or to a Bible study. And in a sense, that is exactly what our verses today are about. Let's just have a look at them. They're all about God's plan for the world. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. You see, God has a purpose and a plan. Can you see how Mary recognises her place in God's plan? All this is happening to her, not because she's special, but because his because God, she says, because God is faithful to his promises 
made to some guy 2,000 years earlier to Abraham. And this perspective that she has of viewing what's going on to her and what's happening in her life was really necessary for her because it stopped her from thinking that she was special. So please don't treat Mary as special. It's a humble girl following the call of God. And she certainly didn't have any exaggerated sense of self-importance. But these two verses that we've got here, are, they're also relevant for us as well. To remind us that God's plan, God's purpose is still being played out today. Let's, let's unpack these for a few minutes. After Mary points out the wondrous ongoing actions of God uh, that you heard about last week, and that they have played out throughout history, she reminds her listeners that this is all part and parcel of God's bigger plan. Mary recalls the ancient promises, the very old promises that God made to Abraham 2,000 years before she was born. And we find those in Genesis chapter 12, in the first three verses. And these are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible. These verses set the scene for the rest of the Bible and for the rest of world history. Now let's, let's, let's see how God does it. Verse 1 says, Go to the land that I will show you. Next slide. Yeah, there we go. Go to the land that I will show you. That's the first promise he makes to this fellow Abraham. It's, it's pretty vague. What land? What are you talking about? Um, it's elaborated on a few chapters later in chapter 17. Then he makes a second promise. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. That's the second promise. From one man who was childless, he'll make him into a big and great people. And then there's a third promise, the end of verse 2. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. That's the third promise. Now, blessing's a funny word. What does blessing mean? Well, blessings, it, they are the good things that come from God. They indicate that God has a relationship with a person. If he's blessing someone, he's got a relationship with that person. And there's a level of intimacy going on between God and that person such that God gives good things to them. So God is saying that he will be with Abraham and he will give good things to him. And then there's a sort of a complementary promise that's, that comes out of this blessing to Abraham at the end of verse 3. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Whoa, that's a, that's a, a big call. So God is saying, by giving these three things to Abraham, the effect of it will be that somehow all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. They'd benefit from it. Now, how does that work? Well, let's see how these promises to Abraham worked out. First is the land. The land for Abraham's descendants. Abraham never got to live in the promised land. But his descendants become the Israelites. And 
about 500 years after Abraham, they get caught in Egypt, in Egypt as slaves. And then they get pulled out by Moses, what we call the Exodus. Moses brings them out, and they eventually get to the land promised by God to them. That's the first promise. His descendants, Abraham's descendants, actually have some land to live in. The second is you'll become a great nation. And that's fulfilled as they occupy the promised land. And especially as you read about King David and King Solomon, uh, they became a great nation. That was the second promise. And then the third promise is that God's blessing will occur to them. And that occurs as God blesses them and as they flourish as God's people uh, in the land. They're the three promises. But how do they become a blessing to all the peoples of the earth? Well, as real as those promises were, they really did get land, they did become a big nation, and they were blessed by God. Those things really did happen. God had so much more as part of his plan for them. The nation Israel and the land were not the total fulfillment of these promises to Abraham. And in a very real way, these three promises were fulfilled by Jesus himself. Both Matthew and Luke show by, you know how they have their boring genealogies at the beginning of, of the Gospels? You think, oh, I've got to read through all these names that I can't pronounce. Well, those genealogies show that Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham. And that, in fact, Jesus creates a new nation, not made of flesh and blood, not following the line of Abraham, but a, a nation of spirit and truth. And Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 23, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. Now, if you remember the story, Jesus is talking to the, the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she asks, where should we worship God? There's a bit of a dispute between the Samaritans and the Jews. Should it be in, in the Jerusalem temple or should it be on the Samaritan mountain? And he says, the time, Jesus says that the time has now come to worship God. How? Through him. Jesus puts himself forward as the Messiah, the expected new king who was to come, who redefines those three promises to Abraham. What does Jesus say? Who will be the people of God? They are no longer direct descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham, but anyone who is in Christ is a descendant of Abraham. As we read that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Not the physical line, but those who have faith like Abraham's faith. And he goes on and says, where they will worship, it's not going to be in the promised land, it's not in their own land or, or, or even in the temple. But Christ himself is the new temple. Remember that? In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And so, how they will be blessed 
and be a blessing to all peoples. As Jesus says before he ascends to the Father in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. In other words, how does blessing occur? By encouraging others to follow Christ. And by this, all the people on earth can benefit. All the people on earth will be blessed by God as they put their trust in Jesus. And so it is with Mary. God has chosen a poor girl for his ultimate act of salvation, an act of mercy, an act of of the future as will be seen 30 years after the birth of Jesus when he dies on the cross and yet it's tied to the past it's tied to these promises of Abraham and grounded in those promises into the future as God has acted in the past with Israel and will continue to act in the future with his Messiah so he continues to do so today. It seems to be around the world different places where God acts compared to other times in history. Different seasons for the flourishing of the word of God. And I think, I think Australia is actually entering a very difficult period as is, I think, all of the West, Western society. A difficult period where Christianity has, is being pushed down to the bottom, being pushed to the side. But in Dubai, we can see God working in very significant ways at this time. And it's often among, uh, among the humble and the poor you see, many people come to Dubai looking for a job, looking to make some money, looking to make their fortune, or make enough money so that their family might survive, looking for a better life. There's a young woman, Nasha, I'll call her. She was poor and looking for a job in Dubai. She's from another faith, and she was staying as they often do in those situations, uh, six or seven people all in one small apartment. She was staying in the apartment and she happened to be the other person, happened to be a small group leader at our church. And so this girl, Nasha, showed some interest, uh, asked some questions. So she was invited to the small group She came along, she asked some questions, and after a while she, she put her faith in, in Jesus. She became a Christian. There was another young woman, a member of our church. She was on her way to her Bible study group on public transport, sat next to a, uh, another woman, uh, again from another faith. 
She got into a conversation with her, ended up telling her that she was a Christian, and she invited her along to her small group that she was going to right then and there. And this woman in, 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 in the train said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll come. So she came that night, heard the gospel, put her faith in Jesus, and is now being followed up by the church, now growing in her faith. But it's not all that different back here. There are still people who are interested, who want to find out about Christianity. Don't worry about what people out there think about you, that you're a Christian. Don't worry about that. It doesn't matter. Get alongside the people you already know. Get alongside the people you meet in various different scenarios. The shop assistants, your neighbours, your family and friends. And just talk to them. Get to know them. Share yourself with them. Tell them that you're a Christian, that you go to church on Sundays. Tell them about some of the incredible sermons you're hearing from this guy called John O. And ask them about their faith. Ask them what they believe. I guarantee you'll get a good response. And especially if they're newcomers to Australia. They'll be looking for, for friends. If you're friendly, they'll respond to that. You'll be amazed at what happens as you engage yourself in that sort of very simple relationship. I think we just have to have that attitude that Mary showed. That willingness to see how God has worked in the past, knowing that that is what God is like, and trusting that God will continue to work in the future through us. He wants to use us to be part of the fulfillment of his incredible plan to see more and more people come to his kingdom. So see yourselves not just as humble servants of God like Mary, but also like Mary as being partners in God's big plan. That's what you're part of. You might feel very small and insecure and very insignificant. <laughs> Imagine how Mary felt. And look how she was used by God. The right heart, the right attitude. Let me encourage you to have that sort of heart, that sort of attitude. That God is working his purposes out. In our time, in your situation here in Caroline Springs and he wants you to be part of it let's pray shall we Heavenly Father we thank you so much that you are a God who wants to use other people in your purposes Father what a great privilege it is firstly just to know you and to be able to say we, we love you and we trust you. But Father, more than that, please use us. Please use us powerfully to bring people into your kingdom, to grow your purposes, to see your plan fulfilled here even in Australia. Father, we thank you that you use the humble and the lowly. Father, may we honour you by being open to being used by you.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.